Hey, welcome to Hot Takes. I'm your host, James Scott, here to analyze anything and everything interesting. Let's dig into today's topics. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. (laughs) James and Chris. Chris and James. (laughs) All right. We are here with a... I guess the first episode of a four episode series. Yep. Where we are going to be going through I mean we're doing this series in between the 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 you know position player mm-hmm. uh series. But this series is going to be a four part series where we are going to be looking at the best teams in the National League and the American League, the four best at least right now. We might what should we do top 5? Let's do top 5. Let's do a top 5. Yeah, top 5. I, the, the, the fourth and the fifth are very close to each other, but we'll do, okay, top five in the big leagues, the best teams, uh, what moves that they would have to do in order to be that team, the World mm-hmm. Series winner. Because um, there is a, a, a you know, a, a, a top, you know, I'd say it's somewhere between four and six teams, and then there's a big drop-off. But even those those four to six teams, some of those teams need a lot more than others. And there is about the ones that have the smallest holes uh, that are also the, the 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 most elite teams to me. Uh, those are the ones that we should cover because those are the ones that have the highest probability of making it through this offseason and getting better from already being, you know, as good as they are. So other teams wouldn't have to just get to where they were, but get past them. So... I think the teams that we're going to do, we're going to do the Astros, we're going to do the Yankees, we're going to do the Dodgers, we're going to do the Braves, and we're going to do the Mets. The Braves and Mets are very close. But I think that those are going to be the teams that we do. Those are the teams that have the, the most to spend and the least holes. But today's episode, you know, uh, to kind of kick things off, we all know I'm a Yankee fan, and, you know, I got to shake off this whole Astros World Series thing. So what better way to shake off uh, the entire – you know, chaos, the the, 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 the horror of mm-hmm. them winning. What better to shake way to shake that off but to figure out which ways can we be better next year? Which ways can we beat them next year? Um, so let's start off with the, the elephant in the room. Judge is still a free agent. Now, I, I think we covered this on a on a episode a few weeks ago. Um I don't expect Judge to leave. I, I still don't expect Judge to leave. Uh, right now, we see a couple of nine-year uh, offers out there that are somewhere around $38 million per year, although some rumors say that there was one deal uh, that also was nine years. That was $41 million potentially per year. I, I don't believe that. I'll believe it when I see it. I don't think that that's real. Um, I think that Right now, uh, the argument is being made to um, to the agents, to judge's agent. I, 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 I this is, I, I think this is going on. I think that this is going on right now. That they're making the argument uh, to judge judge's agent to say, okay, well, we'll go nine years. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll we'll go that number of years. But nobody is willing to go there at at you know this price level. Um, which to me is when you 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 sign a guy. If you're the agent and you realize that like everybody's kind of being like, wait a second, if we're gonna go this many years, we're not gonna pay as much per year. Once you get to that point, you make your decision, at least in terms of what strategically would be the smart thing to do. Now, Judge himself has said that he wants to sign early in the offseason so the team that he goes to can figure out their other needs. I'm paraphrasing, but he said this. So I think winter meetings are coming up. They're like next week. Uh, I think that he's going to sign at the winter meetings. I think he's going to go there. Uh, you know, all the GMs are going to be there. He's going to have the opportunity to talk to everybody within the same couple of days. I think he's going to make his decision then. That being said, I don't think he's leaving. I don't think he's going anywhere. You know what? Everybody, you know, forgets. Uh, you know, look, we can talk about the marketing opportunities. How many jerseys is Judge going to sell? in Japan, having broken the single season non-steroid home run record. You know what I mean? 
he's going to sell jerseys out there uh, to a similar level to, you know, Tanaka. You know, A-Rod was selling tons of jerseys over there. Um, so, you know, just jerseys and and and, and signed baseballs and et cetera, et cetera. There's, there's that value. There's the value of the fact that he has had two 55-plus home run seasons in the last five full seasons. You take out the short season 2020. Um, you know, he's six foot seven. He robs home runs. He could play center field. You know, I, I know they want to be careful with him, put him in right field, but you're talking about a guy who almost won the triple crown, batting well above 300. He stole like 16 bases this year. Okay. There's not very many people, uh, that can, that can do that. You know, that you can't, how are you going to fill in for that? You would have to get three of the other elite options on the market. If you, you didn't bring back judge. He's that his numbers are are that important to the Yankees. Separate from all of that, what people don't I don't know why they don't think about this. Judge through arbitration was paid by the Yankees seventeen million dollars last year. Okay, Chris, let me ask you something. If he goes from seventeen million dollars to thirty seven million dollars. For other teams, that's a $37 million contract. Mm-hmm. For the Yankees, it's a $20 million raise. Mm-hmm. They already paid him 17 So a $20 million raise, especially when you have Britain leaving and he's getting paid 14 mil, and you have Chapman leaving and he's getting paid 16 mil, that's 30 right there. Yep. So for many reasons, I don't think he's going. I don't think he's leaving. I do think he's going to get a nine-year deal. I think his agent did an unbelievable job uh, marketing him. He, he used literally every single marketing technique and, and tactic, really intelligent ones that you can use out there. You know, usually what a free agent says is, all right, you know, I come from this team. I'm going to go float around the market. And then I'm going to come back to the first team and say, these are the offers, can you top the offer? That seems like the smart thing to do. However, that creates a situation where teams are conscious of the last offer. Whereas if you don't, if, if you're an agent and you say, we're not going to entertain, um, you know, this team meeting our price, we're just going to go for the right deal. You know what that does? That creates a market where they're just guessing at his price point, not mm-hmm. knowing who else is spending or how much they're spending, where people will just, teams will just throw money and hope that it's somewhere, you know, around a reasonable amount and also bigger than what everybody else is offering. You can do that and be successful at it if you are doing what Judge did. Brilliant, brilliant uh, marketing strategy. Uh, by his agent. That being said, very long-winded way of saying he's not leaving. I, 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 if if he left, the Yankees would be an insanely stupid franchise. And the Yankees, as we know, are one of the smartest franchises in MLB. There is no side of losing Judge that is acceptable. Uh, the clubhouse uh, this this year, when the year ended say that if Judge comes back, he should be our captain. He's the leader of the team. So it's not just marketing. It's not just production. It's not just production at a big position. It's not just well-rounded production. It's the clubhouse as well. And, you know, like I said, it's a $20 million raise for us. It's a $37 million contract for another team. Almost double that. So, again, I, I don't think he's going anywhere. So, you know, elephants you know, in the room, elephant out of the room. Okay. Bye-bye elephant. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so that being said, we, we bid so, you adieu. Yeah, so judge, we got it's really funny elephant in the room. Judge is six foot seven. <laughs> it is a, is a, a big guy. Very, very <laughs> weird shaped elephant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know, you got him in right field, you know, Rizzo's back. So that's first base. Rizzo. You got Stanton at DH. Um, now, and Bader's in center. That's right. Bader's in center. So Cashman said very specifically that he wanted to uh, get pitching this offseason. 
and he said he wanted to get a left fielder this offseason. Now, new reports are coming out saying that um, he's trying to deal Donaldson. And new uh, uh, reports are coming out that LeMahieu is about to get surgery or did get surgery. So I think he's probably going to be questionable as a guy at 100% trust every day next year. I mean, I, I already have some issues with, you know, trusting LeMahieu in a big role. I think he's going to toast lefties. I think he'd be really good in a lineup spot that isn't two, three, four, five, six, seven. Eight, nine, or, or you put him in the one spot because the contact that works. But, and we're hearing that Torres, you know, we've heard this since the deadline that Torres is going to get traded. So that's a lot of infielders gone. So I can only, you know, I don't think that they're going to go uh, uh, Peraza at short, Volpe at third when Volpe hasn't, you know, hit in AAA yet, really. Um, and when I mean hit in AAA, I mean reliably hit in AAA. He, he, a cup of coffee in AAA near the end of the season, and then put LeMahieu coming off the injury, you know, at second base, and then while LeMahieu isn't hurt, you put in Isaiah Kiner for left. I mean, that would be unbelievably ridiculous. That is a move that you know a team that's ranked like 17th or 16th or 15th ends up doing. You know, bringing in all of those guys and expecting to be uh, competing for a playoff spot. So there is going to be something going on with the infield. Some additions there. Um, and also, I find it really, really hard to wrap my mind around any sort of idea that they're going to go into next year, again, with Trevino and Higashioka as the catching situation. I think we're going to upgrade catcher as well. Now, here's where things get complicated. There are some high-end options on the market. I've been adamant about this in the past. I don't want to give Nimmo a big deal. I think he's going to have a very good year next year because the shift is going, and only because of that. And then I think as the next couple of years happen, I think that he's going to severely fall off in the power department. Um, why so Why would that happen? It, it's his swing mechanics. Mm. His, if, if he's as strong and coordinated, which you know he's not a guy who's best with regards to coordination, but as coordinated as he can be, uh, with the batting eye that he has, uh, when he gets something to hit, he can actually do something with it. The thing is, is that he doesn't regularly take something that he works to to hit. And, you know, again, if you get a pitch that you can hit, you should hit it. He doesn't hit it enough for power. And he works the count really, really, really deep. You add in the fact that he doesn't, in the past, he hasn't had too many full seasons. Most of his seasons were like 80 games, something along those lines. I am fully convinced that, you know, he, he, the power is going to drop off. The league is going to get to know him a little bit more because he's going to play a full season more regularly. Swing mechanics don't, uh, um, they're not going to age well with regards to power for any of the power he, he even has. I think what's going to happen is he's going to definitely have a loss in the out-of-play power that he has. And the walks are going to go into the strikeouts as the bat speed slows because of the swing mechanics being wonky. He's already working the count. You know, you go from fouling pitches off to get later in the count. You miss those pitches, you're going to strike out. You're not going to walk. You're not going to get later in the count. The walks are going to go into the strikeouts when the bat speed slows. Uh, and, and when he's missing some of those pitches, in, you know, fouling off pitches that, you know, he really would have hit last time around, you got to remember, this is a guy who his swing mechanics are going to make it so he's not going to be able to hit lefties. So now you're looking at a guy who's a platoon option, whose most his biggest points of value is that he walks. You got to hope that his base running comes back at that point because he's turned into a very average base runner the last couple of years. So big year coming. I think he's going to have a whole bunch of extra singles with the shift going away. He's going to pad the walks that he has. Uh, big year, and he's got very good defense. I'll give that to him. He turned himself into a very good defender. I thought he was going to be a good left fielder. He's turned himself into a good center fielder. Credit to him working his butt off. Um, but I do think that the market is going to spend big on him, and I worry about the decline. So I wouldn't go for him if I'm the Yankees. But nonetheless, 
He is an option. We have to list the options. Then you have Benintendi. He was just on the Yankees. However, he's 28 years old. He's one of the youngest players on the market. He's won gold gloves. He's a left-handed hitter with a little bit of power and lots of contact going into a non-shift era. Uh, he is a very good base runner. Um, you know, physically, he's got the frame to get a lot stronger. Um, there's going to be a market for him because he is a safe bet to be an above average player for more years than most of these other guys. He's a much safer bet than Nimmo. Nimmo might not be a good player in two years, next year, year after, and then done. Ben Intendi should be a good player for the next five years. You know, maybe with a fall off on the last one, but he is a safe bet for at least four good seasons guaranteed of well-rounded performance mind you so i think the price point for him similar to nemo is going to be too much there's not a ton of really really great free agent outfielders on the market there's a few guys who have value but you have to kind of look around um so i think you know benintendi is i don't think he's coming back he's not going to go back to the yankees when they have to focus big money on so many other interests so I don't think he's going to happen either. So we got to cross off Nimmo. We got to cross off Benintendi. All right. So that's two left field options that are off the market, that are not going to happen or sh shouldn't happen. We have, and I have to mention this because Cashman does make moves like this, especially recently. Kevin Kiermeyer's on the market. Right now, Cashman really values good base running. He really values good defense. He values lefties. He values guys who uh, hit for contact. He values safe players who he knows who they are. It is worth mentioning that if you platooned Kiermaier and Bader, that would be absolutely insane. It would be unbelievably good. That being said, because the outfield market is what it is, I think that Kiermaier, who does have injury risk and he does have uh, risk within the expected statistics department, although that occasionally fluctuates. Occasionally. <laughs> not, 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 it's not a regular thing. Most of the time, if you have somebody who falls off there the next year, they're going to be bad. But every once in a while, it's just a hiccup. Um, so Kiermaier, I, I think he's going to get a little bit too much money for the risks in his profile. So even though he's a cashman type, I don't think the money is going to be workable there. I could see him sign just because I could, you know, I see the the type, if you will. Um, so I don't think that's going to be an outfield option. And even then, like with Boone, I feel like they that he would try to play uh, Kiermaier every day, and like he would get hurt because Boone is not good at knowing who to play and, and when and lineup combinations. Um, look, you want to get guys into positions that they can get used to, because if you're injury prone and you're trying to do things that you're not used to more likely you're going to get hurt. Um, so, all right, those options are now off the board. So now let's look at the remaining left field options. So, so first and foremost, there's Yoshida from Japan. Masataka Yoshida is, I believe, how you say his name off the top of my head. Um, Yoshida is a power hitting lefty bat. Uh, he looks really good. And Adam Jones can attest. Adam Jones, one of the, the best center fielders, you know, uh, of the 2010s, I guess. Um, you know, he, he, he played over there recently. Uh, this year, last year. Uh, but he was on the same team as him, uh, from, from what I understand. Point is, Adam Jones evaluated him. And Adam Jones was like, this guy is the Japanese version of, like, Soto. And I was like, wait a second, that's, that, that should be Murakami. But apparently he said Yoshida's that. Now, that being said, if Yoshida is anything close to as good as Adam Jones reports, Yankees got to be all over him. That being said, Seiya Suzuki, uh, Tatsugo, uh, you know, uh, uh, oh man, what, what's his name for, for the... Uh, for the Reds. But there we go. That that literally attests to it. All of these guys are big name guys who come over here and turn into nothing. 
Some of them turn into people where, you, like I said, you, I don't even remember their name. Akiyama, Shogo Akiyama. Like, it is very rare for a Matsui or a Shinsu Chu or Jung Ho Gong or Ichiro Suzuki. When you have, you know, a, a, a player who is either, you know, raised Japanese, raised, you know, the... It's a different culture. It's a different culture than over here. It's a lot more about honor and respect and selflessness. That that's their culture. That's you know right. So what you a lot a lot of time you'll see and you saw this in in Shinsu Chu. You saw this in Ichiro. You saw this in Matsu. All the guys that I just named, all of them are team players. None of them just produce. You know for their numbers every single one of those guys is an rbi machine or somebody who's an unbelievably smart player and will take advantage of situations mm -hmm. by being that smart i'm talking about ichiro really but yeah if you're talking about any of the power hitters that come over from asia in general or who were raised with with those um values they are some of the most valuable power hitters in baseball just because of that you don't have to worry about, you know, in a big moment, you know, will will they drive in runs, even if it means a sacrifice fly, because they'll do what it takes. Doesn't matter if they get out. It's it's an unbelievable set of values for a baseball player. That being said, the risk that I just talked about with all these, you know, Akiyama, sure, you know, Suzuki, Tatsuga, like, there's significant risk with regards to this profile specifically. So the Yankees could go for him. But from a risk-based perspective, given that the Yankees are trying to win now, which is very clear, I don't think I would risk it getting him. But, of course, we have to name him because he is an option. And he could be a really, really great player. Um, and people would look, but why didn't we get him? Because of the risk? There's serious risk. Right now, the Yankees are, you know, Cashman. He's really focused on guys who are proven big league talents who will show up in big situations. And I think that that's really smart. A lot of the time you can find guys who have been in the big leagues who, you know, are good enough, but are great in big, big situations. You can find them for a fairly low price. Like McCutcheon's not going to go for too much. Um, you know, I would, I would even put McCutcheon on here, but at this point in McCutcheon's career, he has been a guy who was the type of guy that the Yankees would add this Rizzo Donaldson type. He's been that for enough years that literally tomorrow he could turn over and be done. So, you know, a guy like Rizzo or a guy like Donaldson, um, these are guys who immediately the moment that we added them, they were a good player right before, immediately before. And when I say good player, I mean, Donaldson in 2021 was middle of the order. And Rizzo, he's been hitting forever. Um, now Donaldson had a down year this year, but both me and Cashman, Cashman has said this, agree that, you know, I think he's going to have a really good year next year. Uh, so I, I agree with Cashman on that. Cashman also, unfortunately says that he thinks Hicks is going to have a good year next year. And I could not disagree more. I do not think he's going to have a good year. I think Hicks is a fourth outfielder. Uh, nothing wrong with that. But I, I, I don't think he's ever going to be the same. You know, prove me wrong, Hicks. You have a smooth swing, but you got to have the bat speed and leverage. Um, but, you know, not like he's listening to me. Uh, <laughs> so, Kiermaier's off the table. Yoshida's off the table. Yelich is off the table. Benintendi's off the table. I mean, plenty of options so far off the table. So, now we're getting into, like, the last two outfield options. Now... The first one I'm going to name because he has been directly linked, not just to the Yankees, but to quite a few teams. However, there's also information out there that says that his team is not going to trade him. So it's conflicting information on whether he's going to get traded, whether he's not getting traded, whether they're floating him out there just to see interest. It's, it's a little bit confusing whether he's available, but if he is available, I'm just going to say, because, you know, we don't want to be being too cryptic. It's Brian Reynolds. Uh, if if the, the Pirates do decide to move him, 
and isn't just testing the waters for his market, he's going to fetch a lot of good talent. He is going to fetch a lot of good talent. One, he's a switch hitter who's a good hitter and a decent base runner and not a bad defender, probably could play center field maybe one more year, two more years, something like that. Um, Reynolds, he is probably their best player. I mean, maybe I'm leaving someone out, but off the top of my head, Reynolds is the best trade chip at minimum that they have. If he's not their best player, he's their best trade chip. They're going to ask for talent for him. And I don't mean like a little bit. I mean, you're going to have to, the Yankees could afford him. No doubt the Yankees could afford him. However, I think with all of the things that the Yankees are trying to do this offseason, they have to be very careful with their money. So I'll list him as a potential option because they can't afford him. He wouldn't be my number one. Now, this is where it gets interesting because Reynolds' raw numbers, if you're just looking at his numbers, are much better than the guy that I'm about to name. And the guy that I'm about to name, he has a massive contract. But I want I want you all to hear my reasoning on this. Because of the massive contract, and it is massive. The, the, the other team, we trade for this, dude. If we give anything close to talent, they're going to have to kick in a ton of money meaning he's going to be as cheap as it gets. So even though he's not the hitter, you know, in most situations that Reynolds is, he is a good enough hitter, a good enough base runner. He has everything that I would need to fill that position without giving up much value. Now, like I said, again, I don't want to get too cryptic. We're talking Mm -hmm. about what brewers are, are, are selling from what we're hearing. And even if they weren't, they should be trading Christian Yelich. Now, some people, I mean, look, Yelich is a big name. <clears throat> He's mainly a big name because a few years ago, 2018 and 27, 20, 2019, he was 67, 70% above league average. I think he won an MVP somewhere in there. However, for the last three years, he has been about 8% above league average, not 60, not 30, not 25 or 20, not 15. He has been on average 8% above league average. He's getting paid $26 million next year and every year through 2028. That is an insane contract for somebody of that skill. If we gave them one legitimate prospect, they'd probably eat the overwhelming majority of that deal. And when I say legitimate, I mean a legitimate prospect because, you know, Yelich is not nothing. But if they're going to eat all that money, if they're going to eat all that money to move him, they're going to want something. You don't have to give much to get him. And the amount that he would be going for is probably a similar amount to what Reynolds is going to be getting uh, over the next, you know, over his contract. The difference is this. Brian Reynolds is a mistake hitter. Brian Reynolds is playing in a neutral ballpark. Brian Reynolds' numbers are much better than his expected statistics. Brian Reynolds is going to cost many players that we could use in other deals. So for a similar cost... Yeah, technically you're getting a slightly worse player. It's also worth mentioning these following things. Yelich has the highest ground ball percentage in Major League Baseball. It is rather impressive for a hitter who's as good as him to hit the ball on the ground as much as Yelich does. Yelich also has no lineup protection next to no lineup protection. Yelich also has not played in a, you know, truly hitter-friendly ballpark, let alone a ballpark that is friendly for lefties. If there's anywhere that Yelich could go where he would feel comfortable, uh, tap into more power than he thought that he could, 
and has a possibility because of it to elevate more, drop that ground ball percent. Even if he drops the ground ball percentage a small amount and elevates a tiny bit more, his numbers are going to jump. And the extra point here, because there's two other layers that make him more desirable than Reynolds. He is a legitimately plus-plus base runner. One of the things the Yankees are trying to do is they're trying to get guys who are fast and, and you know obviously trying to add lefties to the lineup and trying to add more contact hitters to the lineup. And one of the bigger focuses, in addition to those things, has also been health. And Yelich doesn't get hurt. He doesn't get hurt. Almost every single season, he is over at least 120 games. So you're looking at a guy who, you know, he's not going to miss, you know, 60 games a year or anything like that. You know, I'm not going to say he's never been hurt. I'm not going to say he doesn't get dinged up here and there, but he's a safe health bet. Now, so what we're doing, we're, we're adding a few different factors together. We're adding the fact that he's been there, done that. He's been at those levels before, like Rizzo. He's lefty, contact hitter, hits in big situations because with the with the you know the the, the clutch theory, if you are somebody who you know is an aggressive hitter and you can hit for high levels of power, you know, or if you're a patient, you know what I mean? Or mm-hmm. that old, right? I know, yeah, I know what you're saying. Yelich is that guy, the 60% above league average guy in big moments. So if you have a guy who does that in big moments, is lefty, is a contact hitter, can run the bases, does not have injury issues, it's exactly what the Yankees have been going for. Whereas Reynolds, this is as good as he's going to get. And as good as he's going to get is a mistake hitter. He needs mistakes in order to hit for power. Sure, he could definitely benefit from going to Yankee Stadium, but there's it, it, it's not like as a patient hitter, lineup protection is not going to affect him as much as an aggressive hitter. And Yelich, he was an, an, an aggressive hitter who's had to become, well, I won't say had to, who's slowly become more patient as the years have gone on. In big moments, he can turn on that aggression. Reynolds can't. He is who he is. This is his peak. He's a patient hitter. Works the counts to get to mistakes. So when I'm talking about the ways that Reynolds is better, he's better in the aggregate. If you look at his year-end WRC+, he's going to be better. If you look at the year-end you know, uh, on-base percentage, uh, 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 well, you know, actually, on-base percentage is probably going to be close between them. But at minimum, if you look at the year-to-year batting averages between them, uh, it, it's going to look closer. Now, right now, you can realistically say that Reynolds, of course, he's going to hit for more power than Yelich. But in Yankee Stadium, with those other factors, Yelich stands a better chance to hit for similar power to Reynolds, even if even if Reynolds was in Yankee Stadium. Because Reynolds is not going to be in a platoon. It's not like Reynolds is going to be able to get used to uh, uh, you know, being protected in the lineup or you know, getting extra, you know, better pitching to hit. Because all he does is work to get to uh, mistakes. You know, he's going to do that in, 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 in Yankee Stadium as much as he's going to do that for the Pirates. Yelich, he doesn't have to do that. He'll, he'll, he'll work the count and get it a walk if he doesn't get anything to hit. But if he doesn't get a mistake, he can still contribute. So, you know, we, we say in a, if a guy plays up in big situations that it usually ups their WRC+, plus, their rough WRC+. Plus, about 10 percentage points. So let's do that. Let's up Yelich's WRC plus 10 percentage points from the last three seasons. So you go from 8% above league average to 18% above league average, right? And then you add on the fact that he's a much better base runner than Reynolds, meaning if he's getting on base to that degree, he's heading to that degree, his BSR is going to go up. So now you're talking about a guy who's basically 20% above league average, who's probably putting up a BSR of a 4.5. Now, if he's getting better pitches to hit because he's able to be more aggressive and uh, when he wants to, you know, being aggressive, if you're a guy who is patient and that's all you can do, you're working to get the pitches to hit. But if you're a guy who has the ability to be aggressive and is going to hit what they can, 
getting more pitches to hit is beneficial for a guy like Yelich. So you add that, and you add the fact that all he needs to do is feel comfortable enough to elevate just a tiny bit. Like I said, his, his ground ball percentages are impressive. It would be realistic to think that there's going to be years where if he's comfortable with lineup protection and possibly even in a platoon, that he's going to feel more comfortable and that, you know, he'll, he'll elevate more, especially in Yankee Stadium. So whereas Reynolds is going to be for the Yankees, what Reynolds is, in big moments, I'd rather Yelich. On the bases, I'd rather Yelich. For potential, I'd rather Yelich. Health, it's probably a draw between the two. In the aggregate, Reynolds is better. Yelich would cost less. Yelich is better in terms of if you add all of the other factors together. If you're just looking at offense in terms of who's going to hit for more power, it's probably going to be Reynolds. Who's going to hit for more average? Probably going to be Reynolds. But if you look at all of the context and all the other abilities, Yelich is a better player, slightly, and you know, really in big moments, massively. And he's going to cost next to nothing. You know, if you're if you're Yelich and right now for the last three years you're eight percent above league average, and your team is going to be paying you for the next five years twenty six million dollars, and you're the Brewers, you don't have all this to spend. I'm also hearing that they're rebuilding, which they should be. You don't want that. If you can get anything for that, you'll eat contract. So if you're talking about the options, yes, they could go for Reynolds. He is an option. You have to think of him as a realistic option because he was good and they can afford him. But Yelich would cost next to nothing. And in my opinion, he's a, he's a much more of a, a Rizzo-type fit than Reynolds. Reynolds is once again another guy who is a is, is a patient hitter. You know, the Yankees need guys who drive runs in and who are, you know, they step up in big moments. We don't need another guy who just fouls pitches off to get to something. Even if they're a switch hitter. I give Reynolds credit. He's a very good player. So he's an option. I don't think he's the best option. All right. That's the outfield. So left field is possibly Reynolds, possibly Yelich. Um, conflicting reports over whether Reynolds is going to get traded or isn't going to get traded. Yelich, you know that they want to trade him, and you know that he will cost very little, where if they even are trying to trade Reynolds, he's going to cost a lot. That's about the most direct ways I can explain it. Yelich is clearly better for those from those perspectives. There, there's no question whether he's available. There's no massive price. There's no uh, worry if he's not going to give the team what they want. He's, he's checks off all the boxes. You just got to give them one or two players so that they eat contract. They're already going to eat a lot, but you want them to eat an overwhelming amount. All right, so those are the left field options. Judge right field, that's left field. You got Bader in center field. Rizzo's over here at first. You got Stanton at DH. So now we're talking about infield and catcher so there are basically two big catchers on the market and if the braves braves are rumored to get one of them the braves are rumored to add sean murphy they are right now the leading team in getting him which is interesting because the braves also have william Contreras, who is one of the best catchers in the sport wilson's younger brother and they have Travis Darno, who just had one of the best catching seasons of anyone in the entire sport. So adding Sean Murphy would basically be at like adding a, a third of the top like 10, 12 catchers in baseball. You have three of that many. So maybe they add Murphy so that they can trade Contreras and uh, Travis Darno in different deals. Um, it, it's very odd. But right now on the trade market, it's Sean Murphy. And I know that those catchers are not going to get traded back to Oakland because the reason why they're trading Murphy is that Shea Langliers, Langliers, I think, Shea Langliers is big league ready, great defender, can hit. They want to give him the everyday role out there. So it's a little confusing what's going to go on with the Braves catchers if they end up getting Sean Murphy. But he is on the market. 
on the free agent market on the other side of the coin, you have Wilson Contreras, the you know the the the, the older kid. He is arguably the second best catcher in baseball to JT Real Muto. He's a middle of the order catcher who's got the energy that a pitching staff would need, who's got the athleticism to stay at catcher. Um, there's going to be some years where he's really good defensively and other years where he's adequate. Um, but Contreras, he's a middle-of-the-order hitter. So if you're looking at those two options, I would love to get Contreras. Contreras is a much more like middle-of-the-order, true middle-of-the-order hitter than Sean Murphy. But Sean Murphy is not getting paid nearly as much as Contreras is about to get paid. So if you want to make multiple other moves, you might want to bite the bullet and go with trading talent for Murphy versus paying Contreras. He's likely going to make something along the lines of $28 million a year. Murphy's probably going to make something along the lines of $7 million a year, $8 million with two arbitration, something along those lines. So unbelievably more affordable. And he's a better defender than Contreras. He can't hit like Contreras, but Sean Murphy can hit. So I think that's one of the trades where you have to put in definite talents in order to get Murphy. Um, but the Yankees can afford to because, you know, they're not trading a bunch of talents to get Reynolds. In, in this scenario, they'd be giving up next to nothing to get Yelich, and then they'd have the talent to go get Murphy. So Contreras is an option, just like Reynolds is an option, but it's the more costly option for not massively more production. And, you know, in some ways, deficiencies. Because Contreras is a middle-of-the-order hitter who's capable of playing catcher. Um, And like I said, he's going to go from adequate to good. Sean Murphy is an elite defensive catcher. He is always going to be great, at least for the next five years. So... If you're talking about all-around players, Sean Murphy is more of an all-around player. Although in big moments, I would go with Contreras. But if we're looking at for uh, how to make the roster as, as good as you can to save money, and um, if you're looking at the Yankees right now, I do believe the only player on the current roster of people who are making over $10 million, the only player that was not first traded for or just traded for in general. The only one that was just taken from a free agent market from a different team with no prior trades was Garrett Cole. That's it. The entire rest of the Yankees team with guys who are getting paid a bunch first came over in trades and re-signed or just came over in trades and are still here having not reached the market. So given that I've noted the Yelich trade, And given that I've noted the Murphy trade, so far, this is following the way that Cashman does things. Now, you can throw Reynolds' name in there as a little bit more realistic than Contreras, because Reynolds would also be a trade. But right now, I think Yelich obviously would would be the the guy to go with. He won't cost nearly as much, and in my opinion, is a more well-rounded get. Um, You know, if you you weigh everything, everything, you know, in the aggregate, Reynolds is a better defender, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so now we have Reynolds or Yelich, Murphy or Contreras. So that's how they would fix catcher, and that's left field for you. Now, here's where it gets a little bit complicated. So if DJ comes back, I think that he's probably going to be the type of guy who will back up or provide an option to compete. Uh, with Volpe and Peraza in the infield. Now, there's a couple of ways that this could happen. The Yankees are thinking about moving Donaldson. If they move Donaldson, then it's clear that they shouldn't move Torres. If they move both Donaldson and Torres, and DJ isn't a guy who can play every day, that's where things get complicated. Volpe needs time in AAA, in my opinion. You don't want to bring him straight up from double A to the big leagues. He still has this one hitch with his swing mechanics that once he gets down and he's able to pull the ball, he's going to be insane. He's going to be insane. But he needs to be in triple A next year. 
Isaiah Connor falefa cannot be playing every day for you. So now you're talking about Peraza is going to have a spot in that infield. Torres is traded. Donaldson's traded. Then you're going to need two infielders. Either you put Peraza at short and go with second base and you go with third base, or you put Peraza at second. Uh, I don't think Peraza would be a good fit for third, even though he is a, a shortstop. I think you need somebody who's more middle of the order there. And Peraza can legitimately play shortstop well. So keeping him up the middle uh, in favor of getting a bat first third baseman is a, a more advisable. Um, but yeah, let's say that uh, Donaldson leaves and his whole contract is gone. And, you know, uh, Yelich is coming in, you know, for a similar price to what they'd pay Reynolds and basically replacing what the Yankees paid Gallo and Benintendi last year. Um, the judge is coming in on basically it would be a $20 million raise, but Chapman and Britain leaving, that's $30 million right there. Um, and there was a few other people that added together, I think, uh, saved a bit more money. I'm blanking right now. I'd have to pull up the roster, but the point is that I'm trying to make is after judge comes in, Yankees do have the money to make one big signing one big sign part of the reason why i'm so in favor of all of these trades because if you use these trades to cover these areas then you don't have to make multiple big signings which i don't think the yankees are comfortable with i think the yankees are always comfortable bringing in at least one or usually two usually two big signings every off season it's usually two um so judge coming back would be a re-signing but given how big of a contract I can only imagine within re- – well, no, it's the Yankees. The Yankees are going to do what the Yankees have to do. But if we're just, you know, for probability purposes, curbing our enthusiasm there, if you will, um, we would only get one guy for big money uh, after bringing in Judge. So – but one guy to fill two infield positions, there would have to be a third trade in there. Now, I think I'll go with the the the. I'll, I'll talk about the free agent, the, the the other free agent possibility first, and then I'll go into the other trade. Um, the possible infield free agent options that are at the top of the market are Dansby Swanson, who is he is offensively worse than what Peraza and Volpe project to be. Base running is around the same level as Volpe, but worse base running than Peraza. However, Swanson is going to have immensely better defense than both of them. And Swanson is proven, you know, given the fact that Volpe and Peraza are both there, uh, one of them, one of the, given how talented both are, one of the two of them should pan out. It's part of the reason why I'd rather have Volpe in AAA and then Peraza at second base because Volpe is probably going to be a second baseman. Have them duke it out for that position. So the shortstop options are either Swanson, Trey Turner, or Carlos Correa. Don't think it's going to be Swanson for those reasons. Correa, the Yankees had the opportunity to get last offseason. Um, I think he's a great fit. I thought last offseason, he was a great fit. Uh, he gets in other people's heads, other teams' heads. Um, he is a full confidence player. Um, the level that he is confident boosts up his team's confidence. Um, I don't think that he would be afraid at all to intimidate Houston, who, you know, the Yankees, that's, that's their kryptonite right now, Houston. So I think bringing in, you know, Correa would be a great idea. Another middle of the order hitter, sign me up. Separate from that, as much as I want that, the numbers show that the shortstop that has the highest probability of being a Yankee is Trey Turner. And I've seen in multiple places, Trey Turner has the highest probability of joining the Yankees versus any other team that he could go to. Like the highest probability, where is he going to sign? Yankees are the highest probability. So if it's not Correa, 
and it ends up being Trey Turner. Can't be too mad at that. Trey Turner is essentially, if if you took what my skill set was when I was younger, and you somehow turned that into a big leaguer, I would love Trey Turner being on the Yankees. I would love, uh, just because of, of the fact that he was basically my skill set back then, but in the show, oh my God, I would, I always wanted to play for the Yankees, you know? <laughs> You know what I mean? Like that it would be, oh, it would be really cool. It would be really it's a dream, cool. right? Exactly, exactly. It's a dream. Um, so you know, if they end up getting him, whichever it ends up being, you know, uh, Correa or Turner, or even if it ends up being Swanson, that is a fine person to have at shortstop. There's also a rumor that you know Bogarts isn't played there, but uh, Bogarts frightens me a little bit. Uh, for a couple of reasons. One, his analytics fell off a cliff this year. His numbers this year are are not supported by underlying data in any way whatsoever. Um, and in, in, pro- in previous years, there's also been a difference, but it's not been a, a big enough difference to matter. It's night and day between his analytics and his results. So there could be a big fall off coming, especially if he leaves Fenway. You got to remember, his righty swing, the way that it plays, is literally perfect for the green monster. Gets the bat head out front, and he just hits it that way. He doesn't have to hit it too far for it to hit against the wall. So him outside of Fenway, with those analytical concerns, it's multiple red flags that are not, not disimportant. Uh, he's also getting bigger which means he's eventually going to have to move over to third base. And if the offense isn't real, then you have a third baseman who's not going to hit and you're paying him. So that not advisable. Do not want, um, he's a little bit too risky for me. So for me, it's Correa or Swanson or, or sorry, Correa or Turner, uh, Swanson and, and um, they're, they're on the back burner. The, the Correa is either your middle of the order hitter with Correa or it's leadoff with Turner. Um, and for me, that's one of the infield spots. If it's either of those guys, that's going to be shortstop, um, mainly because if they sign, they're going to want to play it. They're not going to want to move to third. You know what I mean? Meaning Peraza is going to have to move to second. And now we break it down to the last of the possible position player moves if the Yankees want to cover everything, including getting rid of Torres and Donaldson. They should make a trade for Javier Baez. Baez is a, a one of the best infield defenders in baseball. He is a phenomenal base runner. He is an insanely confident player who also gets in other teams' heads, who is also a former teammate of Rizzo. Now, a lot of people who are probably listening to this are saying, Baez, Baez was terrible this year. Yeah, Baez was terrible this year. That's why he's going to be super affordable. They're paying him a a, a decent chunk of change, and he had an awful year this year. You can get the Tigers to sell low, especially given the fact that they're one of the worst teams in that division, and they have next to nobody coming up from the farm system. If, if if you if you were to go at go and get bias, they would kick. If you're getting if you're giving them talent, if you're giving them legitimate talent, they would kick in a significant portion of that contract. Now, I think you know a minute ago I said bias didn't hit at all this year. So why would I want somebody who's getting paid a lot who didn't hit at all this year? He also went from the National League to the American League as one of the most aggressive hitters in MLB. Meaning he went from a league where he was seeing these guys year in, year out, and because he knew them, he could afford to swing as hard as he could. He doesn't know any of the pitchers in the AL, and he still has the same swing rates. That's who he is. He's very aggressive. He hasn't learned the pitches. He's the same guy. You just got to give him another year. In addition to that, it would help if he was not playing on a team that has no hitters on it. I mean, don't get me wrong. Torque is going to hit. Riley's going to hit. 
Um, but they don't really have too much outside of that. It's not a, it's not enough for a middle of the order, that's for sure. Um, so we're talking about a deal where we don't have to give up very much at all for both Yelich and for Bias, meaning we can save the chips to make sure we get Murphy. All of those players are not Yelich, Murphy, Bias are not going to make anything close to, uh, you know, Benintendi, uh, Contreras, uh, Yoshida, you know, Verlander, you know, uh, they're not going to make anything close to that. And because of that, the one extra signing, the one where you'll have the money for it, you go with either Correa or you go with Turner. Fine with either. So now what we're talking about is the Yelich trade, the Murphy trade. You know, you could definitely go Reynolds, but more pieces. Makes the other stuff complicated. Uh, same thing with Contreras. You could sign Contreras, but like, where's the money then for Correa Turner? You see what I'm saying? You can only make one signing after Judge. So you have Yelich, you have Bias, you have Murphy, you have Correa Turner, whichever of those it ends up being, right? Now the last, the, the, the end of the offseason, if you will. Now the Yankees are really good at picking up cheap relievers. So there's definitely going to be a little bit of this and a little bit of that at the end of the offseason. A few million dollars here, a few million dollars here. Nothing crazy. Maybe a $4 million contract there. You know, max six. You know, just to get a couple relievers. Cashman's really good at that. Cashman noted, and I said at the beginning of this, he wants to get starting pitching. He wants to go out there and, 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 and get more pitching, get more starting pitching. Now, we have Montas, we have Cole, we have Cortez, we have Severino. You know, there is a good group of arms here. There's room for one guy. Tyone is leaving. Now, there's two ways you can, you can skin this cat. Either you say, hey, Tyone, don't go. Come back. Come back. You know, we'll give you the money, you know. Um, and, you know, maybe you make a side signing, as, as you know, as, as a depth piece. You know what I mean? Johnny Cueto or something. I don't know. Right? Corey Kluber. That would be a great one. Go get Corey Kluber. Put him in the bullpen if you need. You can use him in the rotation. Uh, that's one way to go about it. You go get Kluber. You go get Tyone. Gives you a little bit of protection especially because Domingo Herman is there. Michael King has a possibility of being used in that type of way. Maybe you stretch out Clark Schmidt. Uh, you get the idea here. That's one way to do it. You go, Ty, uh, you go Jameson Tyone, and uh, you know that's, that's your option. The other direction that you can go is you can go get Carlos Rodon and not focus on anything else you know not focus on any bullpen pieces for four million dollars not focus on you know any secondary kluber like options um just one guy depending on the price of carlos rodon he is that guy he would be a perfect fit but if he's not that guy, like I said, I'm perfectly fine with Tyone and Kluber. I mean, Kluber played for us in recent years, and Tyone's best friend is Cole. So it wouldn't surprise me if either of them took a discount. Um, but those are the directions I would go. Now, given the fact that you'd be paying Correa or Turner, you want to be very careful here. Instead of, Like I said, instead of getting two signings outside of Judge, one. I think we're going to do the same thing with regards to uh, pitchers. Instead of saying, oh, let's go get Carlos Rodon, let's be reasonable and say, okay, get Kluber for like $4 million and then bring back Jamison Tyone for like $15 million, something like that. Um, that would be a lot more realistic to me, given you know the fact that Tyone was there and he's so close to the team. So for all intents and purposes, we're talking about a very small money signing for Corey Kluber. We're talking about re-signings for Judge, for Tyone. We're talking about a trade for Yelich. 
talking about a trade for Baez. We're talking about a trade for Murphy. And that would be the offseason. That would be the entire offseason. So you'd be going into opening day next year. And opening day would be Sean Murphy at catcher, Anthony Rizzo at first base, Peraza at second base, either Carlos Correa or Trey Turner at shortstop, Javi Baez at third base, Christian Yelich in left field, Harrison Bader in center field, Judge in right field, Stanton at DH. That is a one through nine lineup and a whole bunch of guys who perform in really, really big situations. And there's not really health risks there. You have more middle of the order. And honestly, Houston walked over the Yankees lineup. So having an upgrade at catcher, an upgrade at second, an upgrade at short, an upgrade at third, an upgrade in center because Bader would have a full year, and an upgrade in left field, maybe Houston could be the weaker version of that lineup. But all of those being upgraded, I don't think that they're going to walk over us. I don't think that's going to happen. And I also think that Justin Verlander is not going back to Houston. So their starting pitching is going to get worse. Those are the things, in my opinion, that's what the Yankees got to do to get stuff done. They can go big. You know, we're going to throw a bunch of money at Judge and Benintendi and Contreras and Correa and Verlander, and we can pretend that that's what they're going to do. Yankees don't operate like that. They trade for people. They re-sign players. If they go and get somebody who's not a trade or a re-sign, it's either somebody who they had in the past for not very much, they've done this with quite a few guys, or it just ends up being a $4 million signing for someone. Someone on the market. You know, some pitcher. And in Every offseason, the Yankees will either – if you're looking at a lot of the guys that the Yankees have added, maybe not last offseason, but, you know, most offseasons they will sign someone. Most offseasons. It hasn't been a consistent thing the last few years. Like I said, basically the only guy from a signing that's currently on the roster is Cole. Everybody else – Rizzo's on a signing – he got traded for first. We signed him after the trade in the offseason when he hit the market. Same thing happened with LeMay here. The Yankees are not afraid to spend money bringing people back. They have concerns with spending money on unsure assets. Now, Contreras, as a guy who's not got elite defense, is an expensive guy, but worth it. But as a long-term asset, because of the, the the defense, there is risk to move off the position. Murphy doesn't have the risk of moving off the position. He's going to play there until he stops hitting. We don't know when he's going to stop hitting. You know, Reynolds is a patient bat, meaning he's probably going to work the count deeper and deeper as the bat speed goes. And then eventually he's really going to need a hittable pitch to do damage. Whereas Yelich is who Yelich is in, in big moments. He gets better, not worse, you know? So the point is, is we can go around the roster and we can talk about, you know, uh, long-term and we can talk about, you know, would they throw money at a guy who's on the older side? Or, you know, different guys have different risks. Uh, I mean, heck, even Correa has some injury risk. He gets hurt for, you know, non-significant portions almost every single year, like 30 games-ish every year and as a shortstop who's on the bigger side who's aging maybe you're not comfortable with him at short but if you're bringing in bias from a trade then you put correa at third bias as your shortstop so it's not like that's really going to scare off uh the yankees you know and it's similar with regards to trey turner even if the hitting goes down and he becomes a league average hitter the base running and quality not elite but quality defense and shortstop are going to keep him a very valuable asset. I am just of the opinion that if you have Bader, who's fast, and you have Peraza, who's fast, and you have all of these guys coming up to the system who are fast, and you have Yelich who'd be coming in who's fast, then why go with Turner? Why not go with a middle-of-the-order guy who is not afraid to face down Houston? Why not go with Correa? 
Even if you have to eventually move them to third, okay, you're bringing in bias. Or if you don't bring in bias, all right, you got Peraza. You know, maybe DJ comes back healthier and quicker, but DJ a second. But the point is, if the Yankees spend, they're going to spend on somebody who's a sure bet, who, if something goes wrong, is still going to be really good. Like Cole leaving the Astros with, you know, the, 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 the sticky stuff, the spider tack, and his spin rate going down, It you know, we gave him the money because even with that, he's still an ace. You know, his ERA with Houston was like, what, 2.7, 2.8? And his ERA for the Yankees is like 3, 3, 3, 4. You know, but you have to remember, CC Sabathia, that's the range that he was in. And CC was an ace. Hard to put up great numbers in New York. And yet, the Yankees found a guy who, with regression that they would be able to account for, would still be an ace. They spent the money. There was protection. So, especially because he's a fastball first pitcher. I think it's the same thing with Correa. They're going uh, very low risk, even if things you know go wrong. And it sucks that Cole and Correa were both with them when they were cheating, and Correa did cheat. But at the beginning and the end of the day, you got to do what you have to do to win. And I will never cheer on Correa, but he is what, in my opinion, we need. We need a guy who's middle of the order, who intimidates the heck out of the other team, and shows up in those situations. So that's what I would do to fix the Yankees. I, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to say fix because we're talking about, we're doing top five teams here. So we're talking about an elite team that's getting fixed. If the Yankees made those moves, they'd if everybody stayed healthy, they'd possibly be the best team of all time. You know, they were on track for something like that right before everybody got injured. The first 55 games were on that type of pace. This could do that for the full year. So as a Yankee fan, you know, this is really, you know, I'm telling you, man, if you could imagine a team with Correa, Baez, Yelich, Murphy, uh, and, 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 you know, Tyone, Kluber, you know, smaller moves like that, sure. But if you can have a team that is, you know, the Yankees of last year, you know, with Ben and Tendi out of the picture, but with what they had last year, stacking that on top of it, that's a World Series championship team. All right, that's what I got, Chris. Let's that was go. amazing. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. All right. We'll see you on the next one, guys. We'll see you on the next one. Have a good night.